Father, we declare your greatness today. And even as we return praise, it's the breath that you've given us that just returns to you with praise and adoration of you, the living God. I pray, Lord Jesus, today that, that our extolling of you and lifting you and praising you will so transcend all the things that we brought in with us, all the, the things that we're carrying, all the, the obstacles we face this week, all the plans we make for the coming day and for the next week or months, that all of those will disappear because you, Jesus, are here in this house in an overwhelming way, that we see you. Time disappears when we praise and worship you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would now draw us into your presence, that you'd be glorified. We'd see you, and you being here in reality would change our lives and hearts. We thank you for this special day to celebrate. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would not only change our lives through your presence, but that you would transform our hearts through the living word of God. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today is Mother's Day, a day we set aside to honor mothers. Mothers have more influence on the next generation than any single person. Moms have more influence in the life of their children than any teacher or friend or peer or coach. Who does the six foot eight inch, 300 pound football player say hi to when on camera? Mom, hi mom. Who gets the call when our children have a nightmare? Mom. Who do kids want most when they're sick? Mom. That's right. Who gets the call when our kids can't find their socks? Mom. Mom is the only person in the world who can look in a sock drawer and find socks that aren't there. <laughs> Moms always know where everything is. Today we're going to look at a woman of history. She's not yet a mom, but she's an inspiration to moms. A woman of incredible character who had a great impact on an entire nation. In fact, her life made such a difference that its, difference that its impact is felt even by our lives today. She was used of God to save a nation, a people, the Jewish people, the nation through whom our Messiah Jesus would someday come. She was an orphan. Her parents had been killed in the Nebuchadnezzar's war, Babylon against Jerusalem. And not only had she been orphaned, but was also taken captive, along with the rest of the inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem, and taken to, to Babylon, to a city called Susa in modern-day Iraq, just north of Basra. When there, she was taken in by a relative, a cousin or uncle, and reared as his daughter. Her name? Esther, Esther. Many of you know the story, some of you may not. And I would like to look at some highlights from this story and draw some lessons today from the life of Esther, looking at some lessons from mothers and others. Now, if you're looking for Esther in the Bible, it's a short book right between Nehemiah and Job. You say, that really helps me a lot. Okay, if you can find Psalms in the middle, go left to Job and then go a little bit further and you get to Esther. It's on page, if you want help, it's 396 in the Bible in the front of you, okay? Just so you know, it'll also, 
The passages will also be on the screen in front of you. Esther 1.1 says, This is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. That's from India to probably Africa. A huge, huge governance. Xerxes thought he was so great that in his third year of his reign, he decided he was going to hold a six-month celebration with, so that he could celebrate his wealth and power. And at the end of this, this really egotistical guy, at the end of this six-month extravaganza, he gave a huge banquet that lasted seven days. Now, a seven-day banquet, that's a long, that's a long banquet. And it says in verses 10, 10 through 12 of verse 1, of chapter 1, on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was high, in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, and I'm not going to name them, there are four names, to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown in, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. King Xerxes was angry with his wife, Queen Vashti, because of her refusal. And because of her refusal, he banished her. See, he was afraid that if, if word got out that his wife disobeyed him, that a feminist movement would rise up and no husband in all of Babylon would be able to control their wife. If the king's wife didn't respect him, all the other wives wouldn't respect their husbands, etc. So, so his solution, banishment, banishment, and find a new queen. Find a new queen. So King Xerxes decided to hold a Miss Babylon beauty pageant, if you can imagine. And the winner would be the new queen. Sounds great. So enter Esther here. Here's Esther. Now, I don't think her uncle Mordecai was a stage mom type. You've seen those. But for some reason, Esther was chosen to be part of this process. And, and guess who won the beauty pageant? 17 through 20 in chapter 2, it says, Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the province and, and distributed gifts with royal liberality. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Esther, a Jewish orphan, one of the exiles from Judah, now the queen, this huge, huge area from India all the way to Africa. Quite a story. And that was just the beginning. That's the beginning of the story. Now, you enter Haman, the villain. Haman's the villain. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Wow. So everybody in the kingdom, this guy's number two in the kingdom. You don't want to mess with him. Okay? Everybody gives him honor, bows down to him, except Mordecai, Esther's uncle. See, Jews were not supposed to bow down to anyone except Yahweh, their one true God. And of course, Haman is furious and has him investigated and discovers that Mordecai is a Jew. 
Then he hatches a plot and manipulates the king into issuing a decree that would take care not only of Mordecai, but all Jews throughout the entire Babylonian kingdom. Chapter 3, 13 to 14, it says, Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality, so they would be ready for that day. Mordecai sends a message to Esther, who apparently at this point did not know anything about this edict. And we read about it in chapter 4, 6 through 17. It says, so Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show Esther and explained it to her and told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther that what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king, he has but one law, that they be put to death, unless the king extends a gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go into the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So what does this story have to do with us today? Especially, especially mothers. I'm glad you asked that question. Today we're going to look at another time, another place. We're going to look at five things handed to Esther, five things God sovereignly handed to Esther, and three choices Esther made. Five things God handed to Esther and three choices she made. Let's start with the five things handed to Esther. What was her life? What was Esther's life situation? It starts with her parentage. Esther was a Jew by nationality. She didn't choose her parents or her nationality. Her parentage was a sovereign act of God. The whole theme of this book, Esther, this story is that God is a God of love who is powerful and chooses to actually get involved in the life of his people. And because she was a Jew, Secondly, her religion was monotheistic. She worshiped the one true God. And third, because of her parentage and circumstances, she lost her family through no fault of her own. She was an orphan. So you have, a, you have this woman, a Jew by nationality, Jewish in religion, and orphaned. These three characteristics at this time don't, do not look like advantages to getting ahead. But these 
circumstances were not chosen by Esther. These were handed to her. Each one of us has been also given a certain parentage. Our parents, our family background, some are, have negative parts, some positive parts. There, there are no such thing, things as perfect parents or perfect families. We like to come to church and portray that we're all perfect in our family, but it's not true. You ask my daughter. We don't have a perfect family either, but there's no such thing as a perfect family. Each of us grew up with, with human beings whose responsibility was to rear us. Some had kind, loving parents who, who knew how to discipline. Others had parents who did not affirm us or said or did hurtful things. Maybe you experienced harsh discipline or, or verbal or even physical abuse. Or the other extreme, absolutely no discipline or no boundaries. Parents who just seemed not to care. Maybe you came from a broken home or experienced the death of a parent. Maybe you were raised by a single mom or single dad. We had no choice over our parentage. Neither did Esther. Given the choice, Esther most likely would have never chosen to be an orphan, an exile in a strange land and away from her home. But God, in his sovereign will, handed Esther these circumstances. Parentage for a purpose. There was a purpose behind all of that. What was she going to do with it? What are you going to do with yours? The second thing handed to Esther was physique. Physique. Her physical being. She had no control over how she had been put together. And 2.7 says Esther was lovely in form and features. In other words, Esther was a knockout. She was gorgeous. Obviously, she won the Miss Babylon beauty pageant. She had to be absolutely incredible. You say, I wish I had that problem. Well, most of us don't have that problem. But God chose to create Esther, as she was, for a specific role. Her physique was handed to her by God. She didn't do anything to earn it. or any, She was given that physique. In the same way, each of us have been given our physique or our physical beings. Now, I know there are certain things we can do to improve our physique. It's, it's kind of interesting. When I'm at, the, at Gold's gym, there's a, yeah, in the men's locker room, there's a, there's a scale. And I watch as men come and they weigh themselves. And I know if they're trying to gain weight or lose weight by their age. You know, they're, they're young and scrawny. They're, they're, they're trying to pump iron and gain weight. And then you get to a certain age, and I see guys going to the scale. They're not trying to gain weight. They're trying to lose weight, okay? And but there are things that we can do to our physique to gain or lose weight. That, that's given. We, we can eat right or exercise. We can lift weights. We can do CrossFit. Some people even go to Botox parties and, and do things. But that's another thing. If you could change anything about your physical makeup, what would it be? I don't know if you ever asked that question. If I could change anything about my physical makeup, I'd, I'd be taller or I'd be shorter or I'd get a nose job or tummy tuck or I'd get a hair transplant, whatever. Realizing God gave us our physical being for a reason. There's a reason. Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms in all the Bible, Psalm 139, 13 to 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. 
When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Our whole being, every part of us, physical, emotional, our personality, our talents, our spiritual gifts, our genetic makeup, were all given to each one of us by God. By God. And God gave it to us for a purpose, for a purpose. And the challenge of our time is to discover that purpose. I don't know if, you, if you've ever asked God, why did you make me like this? I was complaining to God one time about God making me a certain way, and I was, I went, I was going in to have my devotions, and I happened to be reading in Romans, and got to Romans 9, verses 20 and 21, and said, but who are you, old man, to talk back to God? And I thought, oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Who are you to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? I just asked him that. Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes, some for common use? And so if you've ever been like me and you've asked God, why did you make me like this? Um, right, it's the wrong question. Why did you make me like this? Why? For what? For what? Physique. It's handed to us by God. The third thing handed to Esther was a place of origin. Place of origin. This is where Esther was born. Esther was born in Jerusalem, part of Judah. Now she was being brought up in exile in Babylon. And it was all for a purpose. There was a purpose behind this. She didn't see it. But we too have been handed our place of origin. Like, like parentage, parentage and physique, it's not by accident. Our geographical location may include our ethnic heritage as well. And it's always for a purpose. God has a plan. God has a purpose. My parents were missionaries to Japan, and I was, because of that, I was born in Japan, lived there until I was about age seven. And a lot of you probably don't remember this, you're too young, but, but back, back in the early days when we came back from Japan, that Japan was manufacturing a lot of, a lot of stuff, and, and it was kind of cheap. And, and it was, if, they, if they saw it was made in Japan, they considered it cheap. So when they found out I'd been born in Japan, they go, oh, I'm made in Japan. You know, it was an insult. It was intended to be an insult. I, I didn't like it. So, of course, later as, they, as they, they grew their quality and pretty soon they're making the best stuff in the world and now it's like, oh man, they put a lot of manufacturers out of business. So made in Japan was pretty good then. So, but that, that was later, okay? But that was part, part of my heritage was made in Japan. I remember Japan, the, the smells, the foods, the culture. The language, which I can't remember, it's all part of who I am. My place of origin, your place of origin. Your place of origin is part of who you are. It's no accident where you were born, where you attended school, your teachers, your coaches, your neighbors, where you went to church, your pastors, even the weather and the weather patterns or the local traditions or the language idioms or accents. You can tell where people are from sometimes in the country by how they say certain words or foods or, or smells. Your, your place of origin may have largely determined who you married. And all of this is part of God's sovereign plan for you. God's sovereign plan for you. The fourth thing handed to Esther was a place of time, place of time. 
4.14 says, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. For such a time as this time, this place. Esther, you are here for this time in this place. Do you have a favorite place in history that you would like to visit? If you could time travel, have you you've thought about that? Thought about the time travel machine thing and say, I'd like to go back to this time or whatever. Or maybe you would have just loved to live back when. You know, I think about that. When, when uh, a different time than where we're in now, maybe in the Garden of Eden before the fall. See what it's like. Maybe before the great flood, see what happened there. Maybe during King Solomon's reign, you read about the magnificence of what Israel was during that time and think, man, I'd love to live back then. Or maybe it was uh, more recent, like when the Norwegian explorers were uh, exploring Iceland and Greenland and Russia and Europe. Maybe when Jesus was on earth. You think about that. Man, it would have been uh, when we visited Israel. It's like, wow, Jesus walked here. Jesus was on this lake. It's like you think about things like that. Maybe it's when our country was founded going through the Revolutionary War. Uh, one of my, one of my uh, great excitements would be if I could go back to 1803 when we made the Louisiana Purchase and Lewis and Clark went out and they went into the West and they looked and found and explored places no human had ever been before. Now, some Native Americans and probably Norwegians later, earlier had been there. But, but anyway, I say that because I'm Norwegian. But anyway, but, but you think about going to a place and discovering the Columbia River and the passage, and then you discover the Pacific Ocean. Wow. And, and nobody's seen this before. Just you. Maybe the Roaring Twenties or the Fifties. I was there. It wasn't all that great. But anyway, we tend to romanticize the past and... and Sometimes we do that. Well, Esther lived in troubled times. She may have wished to live in another time, another place, but God chose her to live at this crucial time in history for a purpose. As parents, especially moms today, we have great concerns about the times in which we live. We live in dangerous times. We live in evil times. We're concerned about the physical safety of our, of our children or grandchildren, terrorist attacks, school shootings, metal detectors and armed officers needed in our schools. Whatever happened to the leave it to beaver time? Wow. That's when the top, you know what the top problems in schools were in the 1960s? Talking in class, chewing gum, running in the halls, cutting in line, and food fights. Remember food fights? Anybody else love food? I love food fights. Anyway, okay. In fact, in college, they served these pancakes that you could frisbee show. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> that, was the, that was the John Brown University cafeteria for breakfast. Anyway, that's back then. Today, what are the problems, top problems in schools? Drug abuse, alcoholism, teen pregnancy, suicide, rape, assault, gang violence, and guns. Big difference. What a time to raise children. Left up to us, we'd probably choose another time, another place. But God chose us for such a time as this, as this. God has placed you, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, 
a grandmother, a grandfather, an uncle, or an aunt for a specific reason in this time period in history. It's not an accident. Esther was there, and you are too. The fifth thing added to Esther was peril, peril or danger. If Esther entered the king's presence and he wasn't in a good mood, she could die. And if she did nothing, their enemies would discover her heritage and she would die. Danger, peril. This was not of her making. This was not of her choosing. It wasn't her fault. And we today, not of our making, for the most part, live in days of peril and danger. Not only physical peril, but spiritual peril. The moral fabric of our culture being attacked and shredded. Our enemy, Satan, is seeking to destroy the family, our faith, children, the unborn, lives, moral values. Time doesn't permit me to catalog the dangers. You're well aware of it. Just read a newspaper, go online, watch TV news. There are so many dangers and perils that we live with on a daily basis. National peril has been handed to us. Like Esther, five things have been handed to us. Parentage, physique, place of origin, place of time, and peril. So what did Easter, what, what Esther, what did Esther choose to do? What did Esther choose to do? And what can we choose to do? There are, there are three things, three choices that Esther made. Three choices. First of all was responsibility. See, Esther had it made. She was royalty. She had everything she could have ever wanted. She was the most, well, most wealthy, the queen of the most wealthy and powerful nation on earth that stretched from India all the way to Africa. She could have chosen selfishness and survival. Instead, she chose responsibility responsibility. She chose to get involved. She took personal responsibility for the peril of her people, the Jews. As believers in this world, we, we can bury our heads in the sand. We can ignore the, the peril. We can say it's not my problem. We can hide in our Christian homes and Christian schools and universities, Christian clubs and churches, or we can take responsibility for the peril of our people. There are three enemies of our country, three enemies of our country. First one is passivity. Do nothing. We see it, acknowledge it, do nothing. Second is apathy. Care for nothing. Care for nothing. Or number three, selfishness. Care only for me. Those three attitudes will allow the enemy to destroy our nation, our cities, our schools, our churches. And either we're part of the problem or part of the solution. We ought to engage the culture. Don't hide from it. Responsibility. Living our life in Jesus, loving the people around us, leading them into the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Yes, we fight the darkness, but be the light. Choose responsibility. The second choice Esther made was risk. Risk. Esther put her life on the line. To request an audience with the king without an invitation was a, it was 50-50 proposition. 50-50. She was going to live or she's going to die. There's no way to predict it. She goes in like she's going to go. It's life or death. 50-50. And she says, if I perish, I perish. Wow. What are we risking for Jesus. We like safe, we like predictable. Choosing responsibility carries risks. 
And finally, the third choice Esther made was the right reward, the right reward. There was nothing in this action for Esther. Her goal was to save her people. This is selflessness. Her reward was saving others. Our reward here in another time in another place is to save others. For Esther, the story had a happy ending. You've got to read the rest of the story on your own. The twists and the turns in the plot. Esther found favor in the king's eyes. The Jews were given the right of self-defense. Haman the villain was exposed and executed and Mordecai was elevated and honored. And everyone lived happily ever after. Kind of. Esther saved the Jewish people so someday in a far distant future, a man named Jesus would be born. Another time. Another place. He would live, die, and be buried and resurrected to restore us into relationship with God, our Father. Then we came another time, another place. We are the beneficiaries of Esther's life and risks and her choices. We are her reward. Another time, another place. But what about mothers? This day is to honor you. This day is for all the mothers who froze their buns off on metal bleachers at football games instead of watching from cars. So that when their kids asked, did you see me? They could say, of course, I wouldn't have missed it for the world and mean it. This is for mothers who gave birth to babies they'll never see and mothers who took those babies and gave them homes. Mothers who run carpools and make cookies and sew Halloween costumes and all the mothers who don't. This is for all the mothers who sat down with their children and explained all about making babies and for all the mothers who wanted to but just couldn't. This is for all the mothers who taught their children to tie their shoelaces before they started school. And for all the mothers who opted for Velcro instead. For all the mothers who bite their lips sometimes until they bleed when their 14-year-olds dye their hair green. Who lock themselves in the bathroom when babies keep crying and won't stop. This is for all the mothers who show up at work with spit up in their hair, milk stain on their blouses, and diapers in their purse. This is for all the mothers who teach their sons to cook and their daughters to sink a jump shot. This is for all the mothers who, whose heads turn automatically when a little voice calls, Mom, in a crowd, even though they know their own offspring are at home or grown. This is for mothers who put pinwheels and teddy bears on their children's graves. This is for mothers whose children have gone astray, who can't find the words to reach them. This is for all the mothers who sent their sons to school with stomach aches, assuring them they'd be just fine when they get there, only to get a call from the school nurse an hour later asking them to please pick them up right away. 
This is for mothers stumbling through diaper changes and sleep deprivation. And mature mothers learning to let go. For working mothers and stay-at-home mothers, single mothers and married mothers, mothers with money, mothers without. This is for you. So hang in there. Even though you may not be married to a king, and your life has not lived up to the dream of happily ever after, God has placed you here as a mom for such a time as this. This time, this place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a powerful story of, a, of an incredible woman of God. And I pray, Lord, that you will encourage us, encourage all of us, and especially that we can honor mothers. Father, we thank you for your ministry in our lives, to our lives, and through our lives. And I pray that we would begin to see the importance of every person and every part of us. And I pray today especially that you would honor mothers and let them sense your blessing as they've played that role. And we thank you. We are thankful and grateful. Let's stand, shall we? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit be and abide with all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day.